0: Welcome to the ASHP official podcast, your guide to issues related to medication use, public health, and the profession of pharmacy. My name is Rita Shane. I'm Chief Pharmacy Officer for the Department of Pharmacy Services at Cedars-Sinai Medical Center in Los Angeles and Assistant Dean of Clinical Pharmacy at the University of California San Francisco School of Pharmacy. Today, I'll be speaking with Dr. Charles Daniels on the importance of clinical knowledge and experience with relation to leadership, and this is a topic that Chuck and I feel very passionately about, so we wanted to share some of our perspectives with all of you. Dr. Daniels is Associate Dean and Professor of Clinical Pharmacy in the Skaggs School of Pharmacy and Pharmaceutical Sciences at the University of California, San Diego. He is also Pharmacist-in-Chief for the UC San Diego Health System, where he provides strategic management and direction for pharmacy services in the inpatient and ambulatory care areas. So we're going to have some fun talking about a topic um, that is near and dear to both of our hearts. And I think we wanted to start by talking about why, why we came up kind of with this title and theme and why it's so important and from my perspective, I really do think that the clinical aspects of, of healthcare are fundamental um, to everything we do. And certainly, given that our profession is a clinical profession, um, those of us in leadership roles absolutely have to have a solid foundation in not only clinical pharmacy, but the clinical aspects of patient care. When I think about um, what our staff do on a daily basis, from storing drugs to delivering and dispensing them and automated uh, devices to managing orders in the context of a patient, there isn't anything we do that doesn't have a clinical foundation to it. As I talk to our technicians during huddles, sometimes we'll be going over look-alike, sound-alikes, and I'll actually query them as to what's the indication for that drug and why would it be so deleterious to the patient if those medications got mixed up. And every dose that that you as a technician puts away into stock matters because that dose is going to go to someone's loved one. When I think about interacting with the C-suite, more and more physicians are joining executive management and leadership roles. and, And more and more, we really do think we're going to see CEOs who are physicians. When we look at the current economic pressures in our health systems and the need to look at how we can reduce the total cost of care, We have to have a very strong understanding of the drivers and how those drivers, whether they be disease states or procedures or new devices, overall impact the total cost of care and what we as pharmacists and pharmacy leaders can do to identify and target therapeutic opportunities to reduce costs. In the area of transitions of care, understanding the clinical aspects of the patient's course as they... um, transition from the ambulatory to the acute care to long-term care or, or skilled nursing facility or back home um, requires a fundamental understanding of clinical practice. And certainly when we look at the innovation of medications, during my career where we started with oral tablets as the most common dosage form for chronic diseases, these days we see a whole vast number of new and emerging drug therapies that are being given as infusions for life, immunomodulators that require a strong clinical foundation and pharmacy's role in making sure that safe effective use and cost-effective use is going to be critical. So those are some of my initial thoughts, and and Chuck, I wanted to turn it over to you to to share your perspective as well.
1: Yeah, thank you, Rita. Pharmacy has evolved into a clinical patient-facing profession. That's much different than in the 80s and the 90s, or before that even, when there was a more singular focus on innovation and oversight related to the drug distribution process. Because pharmacy is a clinical profession, it's important that our leaders that go into those spots understand what we are about, essentially what their team is doing and how they can impact on the organization. 80% approximately of my department budget is drug cost. That's different than people. I call it people uh, and stuff. In this case, the stuff is 80% of my budget. so I have to figure out and the leaders that work in my organization need to understand what drugs and what drug use is about. That's difficult to do if we don't have that sort of clinical experience that goes with being a pharmacist. That, in my mind, is the single most important reason why leadership is really uh, requires clinical expertise and the specialty that goes along with that.
0: Yeah, I I totally agree with you. And I I think about um, the current focus on whether you call it value-based or outcome-based pricing for drugs. And I've had these questions asked by some of our uh, executive um, management folks about, well, what do you think of that? And I said, well, the, the challenges with what are some of the new proposals for how to price medications comes with really understanding how these drugs work and what are short and long-term outcomes. So, for example, the most um, exciting new innovation is this class of drugs called CAR-T for cancers. And I I heard there's 100 drugs in the pipeline. So, I actually put together some information explaining what CAR-T therapy is. And interestingly enough, one of the manufacturers is um, willing to reimburse the organization for the cost of the therapy, which is between $400,000 and $500,000 if the patient doesn't respond in 30 days that's what I've I've read. Well, interestingly enough, this therapy is very effective, but from what I could um, discern from the literature, 25% of patients go on to disease progression, their underlying cancer. So if one was at full risk for this population, that would need to be factored in because the costs associated with that disease progression need to be taken account. These drugs also are associated with some pretty severe toxicities as well. So all of that needs to be considered and I find myself talking to our contracting division on a regular basis just to apprise them of new therapies, innovations that are exceedingly expensive. Not because we don't believe that they're important; they're, they're critical in, in the lives of people with some of these rare diseases or, or cancers. But we need to be aware of what the implications are for the, for the organization's bottom line, as we all are dealing with reduced reimbursement. So that's why one of the reasons I, I believe having this kind of clinical foundation in, in, our, in our leaders is so important. It's, certainly something I still try to do each day is keep up on what's coming down the pipeline, what's happening in healthcare. Are any other thoughts um, you want to share about kind of why this is so important or your perspectives?
1: No, I think that you've captured most of those points very well. And you know I think there are plenty of examples that are out there, and I know you see them on a regular basis, uh, as do I, of real-life examples of sort of where the clinical uh, ability or expertise needs to come into play. And you know, sick people call that uh, intuition, uh, the ability to be able to recognize a uh, situation in a, a quick time and be able to respond to it. And that comes from repetition. So, you know, I think in the way I perceive it, the challenge is frequently to get the people early in their career, the young new pharmacists, to be able to have experience that allows them to be able to read the situation quickly from a clinical perspective, and that's a challenge and something that that needs to happen. Now, you know, there are dozens of examples every day of sort of the difference between a clinical focus and what I'll call an administrative focus, and I don't mean those to sound one better than the other, but they certainly uh, represent Two different frameworks that people look at the world and I you know with that in mind I guess I'd say that when we looked at development of services that related to um, how to move patients more effectively from the hospitalized state to the home state one of the things that was very clear was that those metrics That are out there are things that represent clinical metrics. They looked at, you know, length of stay. They looked at uh, hospital readmission rates. They looked at complications associated with that immediate post uh, discharge period. And those are all clinical metrics. You know, if you're just looking at it as a, a number and don't understand what it takes, the impact of day-to-day on the, in the clinical service for why patients are either ready to go home and you've had the chance to teach them, if you don't have that, if that isn't sort of part of your of your internal wiring, then it's very difficult to be able to change the course of events. So, therefore, you create, by having that expertise, you create programs, services, initiatives that are much more likely to be successful. And, you know, we've had some of those cases in our shop that I've referred to as failure is not an option. With an example uh, from our transitions of care development of our transitions of care program, I watched a pharmacy clinician probably about 10 years, not quite 10 years, out of a residency program that did things on the fly in order to be able to respond to what she was seeing clinically, and so she understood the heart failure population, which was our launch point. She had been working with them. She was with them on a regular basis. She was able to sort of talk the talk that uh, Heart Failure Service did. As a result of that, in that uh, failure is not an option situation, she made a lot of changes on the way, and we ended up with a program that I think our, certainly our organization was quite pleased with.
0: Yeah, I think that this whole notion of clinical problem solving happens every day in our organizations. And what I think um, a lot of individuals who are so effective at their roles on a daily basis who are really, really leaders in, of their practice may not always recognize is it's, it's that same skill set that one needs to ascend through the organization. And in fact, it's essential to be able to, as you said, create create opportunities and initiatives that are relevant to our organization. So, What's critical for all of us is really to pay attention to what's going on at our own sites as well as what is happening in the external healthcare environment and then then be able to translate that into real programs and services that uh, our staff provide. So along those lines, um, I know you spend a lot of time with the School of Pharmacy and I know that that's one of your areas of focus and commitment has been for a very long time. What would you recommend to to new leaders? And, And maybe we should expand it. What would you recommend to students and residents who are early on in their career and may not even be considering leadership because they don't recognize that how much they can make a difference in in advancing what we do for our patients.
1: Uh, Thanks for asking that question, Rita, because it does come up all the time and not just with the students and residents that I see, but because I have spoken this message about clinical expertise as part of leaders across the country. uh, People ask, so what does that mean exactly and, and where does that go? And- I'll I'll just kind of approach it in this way, and I think that that it applies to students, residents, and pharmacists that are in the early career, even if they're post residency. The point is that pharmacists are trained as clinical practitioners. They've gone to you know six, eight, sometimes more years of of uh, schooling and training in order to get to the spot where they feel comfortable as a clinician the newest pharmacists, the ones that have come out in the last five years, are even more ready. They have better understanding, the training is better than, you know, 15 years ago when we were developing clinical pharmacy. And I mean, I think because of that, new pharmacists should be encouraged to practice what they've invested in. Gee, you know, when you put that much time and energy into something and you think you're going to be uh, taking care of patients. It's a disappointment to be encouraged to have to make a decision at that point in time. So there's not, in my mind, a sort of a fixed approach. It's not like do it for three years or do it for five years because different people have different positions. They have different opportunities. And it's not all or or none, in my opinion. I think you can become a, a strong clinician during that time period. There are things that can be accomplished. I encourage our residents and and young pharmacists to spend a lot of time working on small group projects. And I don't mean things that are socially oriented, even though they could be. I mean problem-solving issues, learning how to flowchart a pharmacy process, figuring out how to do education for nurses that are learning new drugs and how to titrate treat them in the uh, in the ICU. So those are all things that can be done as part of sort of a learning curve for new pharmacists. And I think at that point in time, those people like solving those kinds of puzzles, not just clinical puzzles, but uh, system-related puzzles, start to get a feel for why they like that. And I think that's an important spot for those individuals to become on their way to becoming a uh, full-time formal leader, uh, you know. As pointed out many times, living by Sarah White, there's a lot of opportunities in pharmacy to be a leader. So, you know, what's really important early on, as I see it, is to take the opportunity to learn to be a strong pharmacist. Learn what the how the drugs are being used. Learn how clinical decision making happens at bedside, and and for that matter, even in the pharmacy as they're trying to uh, solve a problem with somebody uh, on the phone. But in the process, they can also develop their uh, leadership skills. It's not one or the other. I like to believe that takes, you know, three to five years for any pharmacist to be at a spot where they're very comfortable, that they've had enough enough repetitions, that they're comfortable being able to say, wait a minute, I recognize this. I can uh, solve this quickly.
0: Yeah, I, I like your kind of the progression that you just described. I think that my approach is, is similar to yours. I think when I'm when I'm teaching students, and even um, I have our PGY one residents on rotation with me, I, I, I say to people, if you find yourself dissatisfied with a process, and you find that you just have this this feeling that things need to change or improve, or you really want to be a part of improving things, even if it's starting off with a a simple process. And I say to students, if you you get frustrated, whether it's your internship or, or during your different experiences, whether they're Ippies or Appies, you're probably destined to have some sort of leadership role. It may be within within the practice you choose, but it may be that you're destined to be a leader because the more you want to change things to improve them, that's to me kind of a, a predictor that one probably is going to end up in a leadership role. I am a total fan of projects. Uh, We we provide certainly our residents and students with projects if they're doing an an admin rotation. I think it develops exactly what you said, those critical thinking skills. And it also exposes them to the big picture. I always say to to folks when they're on rotation, I said, you know, you've made this decision to do a a, a postgraduate um, residency to acquire content so that you can develop confidence in your ability to make decisions and advance your clinical skills. So what I want to do is introduce you to contact so you can see where a pharmacy fits in this healthcare puzzle. And so those are the things to me that are so important for leaders, um, especially new leaders, is to start paying attention to that context and to the environment because, again, as, as we both stated, that's where the opportunities um, exist. I also try to really teach people that are early on in their career, the importance of quantifying and demonstrating the value of what pharmacy provides. I mean, those of us in the profession, we we know very much how much we do on a daily basis to prevent harm to patients, but that's not something that our organizations publicize. And yet we do all collect what we call interventions, which I always say in professional circles is not what we should be calling them because pharmacist intervention sounds like what we're, we're doing something for pharmacy. What we're really doing is intercepting Errors and, and oftentimes they're prescribing errors because that's the hallmark of pharmacies to say, what's wrong with this drug order? It doesn't make sense in the context of this patient's disease state or, or current uh, problem list. And so I, I think we need to be very definitive and, and teach new leaders about the importance of quantifying the value that we bring to the table, whether it's prescribing errors intercepted during an acute care admission or, as you said, readmissions prevented due to drug-related issues that would otherwise have caused the patient to wind up either in the ED or in in the medical center. So those are some of the things I think are important for new leaders. And the other thing I try to say to people, if you think about it, if you're a clinical pharmacist, you're, you're doing direct patient care. If you go into a leadership role, you're really managing a population of patients by the decisions you make and the ways that you can advance practice. So I know there are other things that, Chuck, you and I have talked about things that you do in your own practice and that you recommend to others to keep up, to be really a part of what's going on at the patient care level and to be more effective as a, a leader with a, a clinical foundation. you want to share some of the things that, that you do and that you advocate for in, the, in terms of how to how to do this thing of keeping up and being clinically aware?
1: Yeah, that's a great question and point. It's very difficult the deeper you become in your organizational leadership responsibilities, the harder it is to keep up. And I certainly know that the skill set of most of the pharmacists, maybe all of the pharmacists in my department, is stronger than mine is right now. But I still take opportunities to get out on a regular basis. So we have regular presentations, not only by residents, but also staff. And I try to get to as many as I can periodically, line up opportunities to go out. And uh, round along with residents on patients that they're following, and it does a couple of things for me. One, it gives me the chance to sort of see how the residents are doing, which is important. But it also forces me to have gone in and done my own sort of uh, workup of the patients that are there to make sure I understand them, up to speed on the drugs that they're using, and. It frequently yields some very interesting uh, examples. Uh, we had a patient a few years back that um, told the resident that was working with him that he was very anxious to talk to the chief of the pharmacy department, and she thought this was going to be one of those uh, all hearts and flowers kind of a deal. I got there, and that guy read me the riot act on things that he didn't like about uh, Medicare. So it was... It was an interesting opportunity, and I point that out that it's really an uh, it's something that, regardless of where you're at in your career and how much time you're spending in true clinical service, keeps you connected to what's most important, which is the patients uh, either in the clinic itself or at the bedside where you talk to them directly. And you know that's one of the changes that we've seen that's gone on in pharmacy is. We're no longer uh, expected to only address our old direct customers, physicians, nurses, et cetera, mm-hmm. but uh, we're expected to go in and be visible with patients, uh, make sure that they've had their chance to ask us questions, make sure that had an opportunity to feel good about their pharmacy care while they're there. And that's something that is important, the clinical background, the clinical mindset allows that to happen more frequently.
0: Yeah, some other things I—I I think that you know I've talked about that. I, actually, I've observed here a couple of my managers who have been actually been out for over a decade, um, over 15 years. Went, studied for board certification. I got there. Um, board certification in pharmacotherapy. So I was really proud of them. It just showed their commitment. And they are managers um, practicing at a pretty high level. Actually, one of them is one of my associate directors. And she just, she said, I needed to do that to be credible. And also because she wanted to be able to demonstrate her commitment. I personally, I'm kind of a nerd. I I subscribe to some of the primary literature, uh, JAMA, New England Journal, and British Medical Journal of Quality and Safety, so that I get the table of contents dumped into my inbox, and I'll I'll scan those just to see what's out there. Sometimes it it helps me take a look at something that I otherwise may not be aware of. It sometimes it's the the pivotal study of the of the therapy that is going to you know be a big uh, blockbuster, and sometimes it's an editorial or commentary that is that is relevant that um, I can share with my management team. But uh, it's always one of those things, I, I don't know if you had this happen to you, but I'm sure you did during our training when we'd read an article one night, um, and the next day it would come up on rounds. So inevitably, when I do this, something will come up at some meeting where I I can then quote something I read you know, the, the day or the week before, and it, it helps me sound credible. Uh, so that's one of the things I try to do. But I also try to attend some rounds as well, because it, it keeps me um, focused and um, also enables me to look at opportunities where my staff can um, continue to contribute.
1: Rita, can I tr- potentially add one more dimension sure, to this sure. uh, conversation? I believe firmly that we need a path to bring more experienced pharmacists into formal leadership roles. Historically, you were either in early on or you never came back. The opportunity didn't present itself. I've seen a lot across the country, a lot of people that were strong clinicians that essentially ended up being the right person to lead the department later on. And when Mm -hmm. I've raised this question, it's obviously a very challenging discussion, and Mm -hmm. I think probably you and I both have a number of really strong clinicians that just haven't really thought too much, you know, why they should become part of the formal leadership structure of the organization, even though most of them are informal leaders, at least. There are a lot of people that are worried about, gee, when I come back after being a clinician for five, ten, whatever it is, years, I won't know how to do personnel. I won't know how to do finance. won't know how to deal with regulatory issues. And I would say that to some degree, that's true. I respect that anxiety, but it is doable. There are plenty of people out there that are smart enough to pick up new sets of skills midway through their career. And I would like to encourage those people to be able to say, you know, that in a way represents the concept of a clinical specialist that comes Uh, back in to help lead the department. And there are so many cases where those individuals essentially come into their leadership role with a whole boatload of credibility because they already convinced the docs and the nurses and everybody else that's out in the hospital or in the clinics that they know what they're doing. And so I want to encourage uh, listeners of the podcast to remember that mid-career people that thought they were going to be a clinical Specialists for the whole life might be high quality candidates to go into formal leadership roles.
0: I couldn't agree with you more. Uh, My best examples, actually, uh, and actually, even current examples of my best among my best folks are the people that were uh, clinical specialists uh, who then were open to the idea of pursuing a leadership role. And and as I agree with you, people that have excellent advanced critical thinking skills can acquire these other areas of knowledge. It's just acquiring the content and having, you know, mentoring from other managers and leaders to help them deal with whether it's a human resources issue or a, a regulatory issue. It's, it's 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 about taking their problem-solving skills and applying them to just the uh, ongoing management and leadership of a department. So I couldn't agree with you more. I actually think that that we actually should put a call out for individuals who want to consider um, a career change at some point, maybe even plan for one by kind of demystifying what leadership is because they're essentially, as you said, leaders in their environment, but they may be either intimidated or for whatever reason, um, think that, Acquiring these new skills is just going to be too difficult. So, we have to kind of demystify or debunk the fact that it's not that difficult to learn these things. Now, it does create um, a level of commitment that is significant, but I think obviously you and I have been doing this for a long time, so we think the rewards are, um, are worth it. Are there any other things you want to comment on with respect to how you balance all these different elements we've been touching on that are part of the leadership role um, while still trying to be clinically aware of, of what's going on in, in the healthcare arena? I mean, how do you balance it all? How do you manage it?
1: Part of it is experience to be able to understand how these things evolve and what the cycle is, uh, uh, what times of the year things are going to be most impactful. But I also think to some degree, this is about the need to have people on the leadership team that have multiple, in some cases, complementary skills. So there are some things that I'm better at than other things and I like to believe that some of the people that are in my leadership team have different skill sets and I think that's true really universally that in order to have a strong leadership team you need to accept the fact that there are certain things that you'll be better at than others and so therefore if you accept the fact that you start out with a strong clinical expertise then you can start filling in the other pieces so uh, do I know how to manage all the elements that are part of being the job. I know how to manage them at a high level, but a lot of the heavy lifting on these happens with people that are specialized in different areas. And I don't want to discourage anyone from saying, gee, you know, I don't know all that stuff. How could I possibly manage all those things at one time? And the answer is that you surround yourself with quality people. Uh, You ask uh, questions when you're curious and uh, you try to learn lessons so that the next time through, you understand it. And I know people end up feeling discouraged that, man, there's so many things on that plate. Uh, I'm not sure i want to take all of them on. I guess I would say that at some point in time, we as pharmacists in those leadership roles don't lead that direction, don't take those uh, challenges on. Then there's plenty of other people that are more than happy to tell me what to do that are not from pharmacy. And that part doesn't feel very good when I feel like, The pharmacists are in a better position to explain and define direction than people outside the department. And I see that every day. And I think uh, The members of my pharmacy leadership team, as well as I think the clinical members and the members of the staff believe that we're all working together. And so it's a combination of strengths.
0: Yeah, I would, I would agree with you. I think, I think you outlined that so well. If you think about it, all of these different dimensions of, of what we have to do in, in our leadership roles, including finance, regulatory, human resources, operations, clinical practice, safety, and the like. It takes a team. I mean, it's really a different kind of team-based care. It's team-based care of the department. And by leveraging, um, the individuals across a team, whether it's a small team or a larger team, depending on the institution size, one does, um, have individuals with different areas of expertise, you know, who's the lead person on whether it's regulatory or finance, and then there's the rest of the team. And I, I think what I grew up with in my organization and what I've tried to foster is that everybody learns about everything that's on the team so that they start to develop the expertise early on in their Career, and they have each other. So no one's ever really doing anything by themselves. I always say, listen, just because I'm in charge doesn't mean I've got the right answer or I know everything and or I'm going to make the right decision. You're all here to to challenge decisions across any element of the department or the organization where we have to be able to, to manage this this particular process or system. And I want you to all learn it. And so sometimes I'll say, it doesn't matter to me that you're responsible for the central pharmacy. I want your input on how we change our practice models to improve our transitions of care program. Part of it is kind of creating this team approach to everything. And when we have regulatory reviews, which we did two weeks out of the month of October last year, it was all hands on deck trying to figure out how to deal with the latest interpretation of one of the, you know, regulatory standards. So I do agree with you that that it's a team. I'm going to make some concluding um, comments, and, and Chuck, I'm going to turn it over to you as well. But I think what you and I, um, which I think is, is the same, is that fundamentally we are in a clinical profession, and we need to leverage the, the knowledge, the skills, the critical thinking, not only at the patient care level, but for individuals out there who who may not have considered it, really, really think about what a difference one can make in a leadership level, really advancing um, the health and and kind of Safe, effective medication use of populations by being part of that change team, and I, I fundamentally I believe those people who end up in roles like you and and me are because we want to change things. So I hope people that listen will be encouraged to to think about that um, for their future, or maybe influence some of their peers to think about it, because we need people that have those strong clinical skills. Chuck,
1: thanks, Rita, and I'll just uh, make a couple of final comments. I'll repeat a comment that I made toward the beginning and that is that pharmacy is a clinical profession and because of that our leaders need to have that as sort of their underlying mindset and mentality. I also want to remind everybody that whatever skill set it is that you're learning whether it's uh, bedside patient management or managing budgets. It's a progressive activity. Nobody knows everything when they first get started and takes a while to feel comfortable with that. I just want to make the case that while I respect and appreciate all of our pharmacy leaders, it is important that we think about a model for the future that encourages pharmacists to be really good as pharmacists to feed that clinical curiosity that they expressed when they came into the profession of pharmacy. And by following that, that will make them candidates to be strong leaders in the future.
0: Thank you, Chuck. And thank you to ASHP for the opportunity to share our perspective. Thank you for listening to ASHP Official, the voice of pharmacists advancing healthcare.